Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker. Robocalls are the top consumer complaint at the Federal Communications Commission. We're going to discuss the actions taken by the FCC to stop these illegal calls and the many things that they've got coming up that are addressing this issue, including a meeting, the meeting they're having a forum with the Federal Trade Commission. So anyway, it's an important subject and one that drives us crazy when you get up from the dinner table to answer the phone. And guess what? It's a computer calling. Also, we're going to talk about repacking. This is something you may have seen as you go if you're watching television and it tells you that stations are going to change. Well, what does it mean for consumers? We're going to give you everything you need to know, well, almost at least, about what repacking and how it's going to affect you or may not affect you. Anyway, my guest today is Patrick Weber. He's the chief of the FCC's Consumer and Governmental Affairs Bureau. Patrick, welcome to Of Consuming Interest. Thank you, Shirley. Thank you very much for having me. You know, this is such a a big area because really and truly, I mean, robocalls drive you absolutely nuts. I have had so many calls from Rachel and now Heather about my credit card. Well, you know, and then there's Microsoft. They call me regularly, tell me there's something wrong with my computer. And I usually tell them I don't have a computer. So there you go. All right, let's address robocalls. Tell me about what you have planned coming up, which I believe is a meeting that's going to be open to the public. You're you're inviting people to come and participate. That's correct. Uh, We actually have a joint uh, uh, expo. It's a technology expo that we're uh, co-hosting with the Federal Trade Commission. Uh, We've been working with the Federal Trade Commission over, uh, you know, the last several years on robocalls, and we decided that it would be a good idea to coordinate with them in a more public um, fashion. So last month we had a policy forum talking about robocalls at the FCC. And next month, uh, actually this month in April, uh, April 23rd, we're co-hosting an expo where we're going to have technology companies, third-party application developers and phone companies come provide consumers with an opportunity to see what's available for consumers to either download to their mobile device or, or get through their landline service to block robocalls. Okay, so the public's invited, and if people are interested, they can go on the FCC website and get information about it. Yes. Right? Yes, they can. Okay, do they need to register, or can they just drop in? No registration is necessary. Uh, It's just drop in. It's from 10 a.m. to noon um, on April 23rd. It's a Monday, um, and we have the location on our website. Okay, so anyway, it's a great thing. It's it's good that you open to the public because I think the public might have a lot to say about this subject. Yeah, we're interested in hearing from the public as well. We think it'll be a great opportunity to for the public to interact not only with us but with the the developers, the folks who are actually coming up with these solutions that consumers can use today. And this is the interesting thing about it. I know there's been a lot of activity going on for a number of years, but you're seeing, I'm, I'm reading now that the the phone companies are becoming very active in trying to stop robocalls. I read somewhere that I think it was AT&T had, had blocked over a billion, you know, and, and that's probably just a small number compared to what's really coming through to consumers. So, Technology is probably the answer down the road. Would yes. that be that? Would that be it correct? certainly is. Yes. Okay. But it, before, it's part of the problem, and it's going to be part of part of the solution. Okay. Before we get to that point where we're going to talk about some of the technological things that you think are down the pike, 
What do consumers do? How do we, do you want to hear from us? And I, I know with, with I, caller ID spoofing, you don't really know where a call is coming from and you don't know if it's a legitimate number. Do you still want consumers to complain to you or to the, the FTC about these calls and give you the numbers? Or how does, how does that work? Yes, we encourage consumers to file complaints with us. Uh, and they can also file complaints with the Federal Trade Commission if they get these illegal robocalls. And as you said, a lot of them are spoof numbers. What these scammers are trying to do is to get you to pick up the phone um, so that they can con- conduct their scam. So our, our first um, bit of advice for consumers is if you see a number on your caller ID that you don't recognize, it's best to just let it go to voicemail. Um, these folks will not leave you a voicemail message. If it's a legitimate caller, they will leave you a voicemail message or they can you know, call you back or you can call them back. If you actually do talk to a person who's a, a, an illegal robocaller trying to ask for personal information, do not provide personal information to anyone. Um, and, and our third suggestion is certainly uh, file co- complaints with us at the FCC. We use the, that complaint. We don't necessarily follow up with each robocall that's called, but we use that data that we receive through our, our complaint process um, to track trends. We share it with the Federal Trade Commission, um, and we also use it for our enforcement efforts. Well, that's the important part, isn't it, trying to track them down. Do you have a feeling for where they come from? What countries are particularly bad? And making robocalls to us because the consumers should realize that these are not local calls, even though it may say Bethesda, Maryland that's, that's on it correct. or Washington, D.C. Yeah, and unfortunately with these advances in technology that we're talking about that's made it so easy and cheap for these illegal scammers to not only make plenty of calls very cheaply but also to spoof the number of the call so you don't know where it's coming from. It's made it very difficult for us to track them. Um, so we do work with law enforcement agencies both in the country and outside of the country, because as as you noted, a lot of these calls do originate from outside of the country. Well, even but just we don't know exactly where they're they're originating from. But just a having a record of that the, that the, these calls are continuing, and I'm sure you need this information in terms of saying to to whatever needs to happen to the technology developers. Look, we're getting zillions of these calls. Mm-hmm. We know it because we're hearing from consumers. That's correct. So that's an important part of it as well, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, and the good news is we are working with the industry on a caller ID authentication proceeding that's currently ongoing at the FCC. And the goal there is to get that caller ID information validated through each step that it takes. A lot of people don't realize calls go through various uh, networks and various steps that get handed from one provider to another, and it's hard to track that caller ID number through the process. Once we implement these caller ID authentication procedures where there's kind of a dig- digital fingerprint attached, they can the phone companies can validate that call at each step, and then we can trace it back. We'll be able to trace it back to track these bad, these bad actors and so catch them. So this would be twofold. This would stop the call from coming through to co- the consumer, mm-hmm. and it would give information, valuable information to you as to the origin of these. That's calls. exactly correct because oh, the the, awesome. the providers can just block it. They can see it's a bad, it's a, it's not a, a valid you know, caller ID number. They can just block it. The, the the consumer doesn't even get the call. Well, where where are we in terms of call a call authentication? It is a an ongoing process, and it's it's been Being going developed. on for a couple of, of years. It's uh, t- very technically challenging, um, but we are working closely with the industry um, and you know other technologists 
um, to get to that point. It's just taking a while to get us there, but we're actively working on it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so for consumers, it'll be a seamless thing. You won't even know it. You won't get the call, which is going to be a good thing. Y- yes, you should start to begin to see these a reduced number of, of unwanted calls. And then there, there's also in development something that will allow a consumer on on the on the very end of the call at the very end where the call is is completed. The consumer can look at their phone and see there might be a check mark there that this consumer can then say, "Okay, I know that for a fact this is the number that's calling me because it's been validated by the by the, the phone company that it's a legitimate that it's a legitimate number. This uh-huh. is the number that's calling me, or it might it might have a question mark or an X, and then they can they can make that decision so themselves. Whether or not you I'll, want, I'll you either want ignore answer. this call or let it go to voicemail. It's a fascinating subject. Let's just take a brief pause here to let our listeners know they're tuned into of consuming interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is Patrick Weber. He is the chief of the Federal Communication Commission's Consumer and Governmental Affairs Bureau. And we're talking about many of the initiatives that are on the horizon and things that they're doing right now to help stop robocalls, which is such a big thing. And I know that you all have been challenged because of the technology, but you, but also I think it was probably the FTC, not to toot their horn, but are they the ones that came up with the Nomo Robo, uh, which is for the Internet Protocol phone calls, I believe? So, And you're looking at other ways of stopping these calls for consumers. So right now, your advice would be don't pick up the phone. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. If it says Bethesda, Maryland, I'm going to answer it or Potomac, Maryland, or D.C., you know, it's just one of those things. So I guess I've got to go smack myself on the hand and say, don't do that, Shirley. But at the same time, of course, it would go to voicemail. Yes. You know, so, well, what are the rules regulating robocalls? When can they be made? Because some calls are legitimate, like, right? Like schools can make them to consumers to alert them that their kids are not going to be in school that That's day. That's exactly right. There, there are legitimate reasons for robocalls. Doctor's offices can call to remind you of appointments. The pharmacy can remind you that there's a prescription you need to pick up. And a lot of times they don't have the ability to call each consumer individually, each patient individually, so that they hire a, a company that makes robocalls for them. And then they spoof the number so it looks like it's coming from the, the doctor's office or your pharmacy or your school so that you pick up the phone. Um, and that's a legitimate, a lawful way that that robocallers can spoof calls. What we were talking about earlier was illegal spoofing exactly. to try to exactly. steal money from you. But because consumers should know that they can get automated calls and they're not something that yes. they need to report to you. And, and you're right. You do have to, as a consumer, you should provide consent before they call, before these robocallers call you. So you should provide consent to your, to your, you know, your school, your doctor's office um, to call you. There are a couple of nuances there when it comes to landlines versus cell phones. But for the most part, robocallers should have your consent before they call you. Okay. So, but for something like an emergency, a, a mm-hmm. school, for example, you're probably not going to have an opt-in for the school. You may not. And you're right. When it comes to emergency calls, those will not violate any rule of ours. If it's mm-hmm. an emergency, they can call you with a robocall. And politicians? Politicians are a little different. <laughs> it's they an informational <laughs> call. So, um so for the most part, they, they have to abide by the same rules that everyone else does. Um, okay. They have to get your prior consent if they're calling your cell phone with an informational call. If they're calling a landline um, and it's not telemarketing, then they can make a they robocall make uh, right. without violating the rules. So the cell phone, let's differentiate between the rules regarding the cell phones. Mm-hmm. Who, who can make calls to the cell phones? People we've just been talking about, right? 
no one can call you on your cell phone unless they have your prior consent. Unless you opted in. Or it's one of those emergency situations like we talked about. Or they have some kind of an exemption from our rules. Okay. So that's a good thing to know. So anything that comes on your cell phone, it's going to be against the law if you haven't chosen to do it or it's a dire emergency. Yes. For the most part, that's correct. Okay. So anything else that we need to know about the robocalls that we can do to avoid them, uh, reporting them, Mm -hmm. uh, not answering them, knowing not to give our information out? Mm -hmm. um, Filing complaints with us uh, mm -hmm. if they do get these calls because we do use those in our enforcement efforts. Well, you know, people say to me, well, look, I'm on the do not call list. Why do I get these robocalls? That's a great question. Well, you know what I say to the people who do actually call me? I mean, I I had somebody call me the other day about a duck cleaning, cleaning the ducks in your house. Mm -hmm. I said, do you know, you're breaking federal law. I wouldn't do business with anybody who's breaking the law. And that's just the approach that yeah. I take. Yeah. And and is that something you would recommend to consumers? We, we do recommend consumers who, who don't want to be called by telemarketers. They should exactly. get on the, the do not call list. And well, the do I not am, call list, for the most part. always stop them, but um, it stopped a lot. For the most part, yes, it does. As, as you were saying, it does stop legitimate, um, you know, callers, legitimate telemarketers. They, they are required to check that list. Uh, if they don't check the list and they call you without, you know, your your authorization and you're on that do not call list, then they are violating the law. That's correct. Uh, but we found with illegal robocallers, they're they not care. going to check the list. They they're care. not going to check that do not call list because they're trying to steal from you already. Right. Exactly. And well, they're crooks to begin with. Yes. So why should they bother even looking and or being concerned about it? But also, you all changed the rules some time ago so that you don't have to renew your uh, phone numbers on the, the do not call registry, I believe. Because yes. at one point, it was like you had to renew it after a certain period of time. And then the, the FCC, I think, very wisely changed that so that if you put your name on there, your number on there, and you don't take it off and you don't uh, don't go in and delete it, then, in fact, it's going to stay on the do not call list, which I like that. That's a... And and the the F, the FTC is actually the uh, the organization that they, the they maintain that. that okay, so I'll give them us. credit. FTC, so give, give them thank credit. You, yeah, thank credit you. Credit is definitely due there. But yeah, that's <laughs> right. true. That's only fair. Okay, so again, let's just tell consumers you're having a meeting on April the 23rd with Federal Trade Commission, a forum. It's open to the public. Yes, and people should come and make their voices heard. Um, the address is seven zero two. 8th Street Northwest in D.C. What's the time on that? 10, it's 10, 10 a.m. Uh, till noon. And, the, and it's designed to be an interactive experience with consumers. We have currently 17 exhibitors that will be there. Oh, wow. Showing their, you know, their technologies that they offer to consumers. They can be phone companies that can provide landline uh, call blocking solutions. They can also be third-party application developers, third-party apps you do download on your mobile device. Mm-hmm. That can provide these blocking technologies, and you can customize it. You know, as and we we want folks to come in and talk to the the providers. They have various different solutions. Um, some are free, some cost a little bit of money. So it's good for consumers to know what's available. Oh yes, and that's what we're doing. This this uh, this kind of expo. So it could for. be kind of a hands on thing to see what exactly. is available Very out interactive. there for you. But they should be able to see demos of mm-hmm. the products. How they how they work, you know exactly how things kind of function, and then they can kind of compare. They can walk around the room and so what works for me and what yeah. doesn't. And yes, okay. So um, so there are a number of avenues that are being taken to protect consumers against robocalls, but I still think that education is one of the most important things. Absolutely, things like we're doing right now, talking about it, what you do, what your agency does in terms of providing consumer education, and uh, because you need to be aware that that person calling. Maybe a crook. That's right. And that's a that's a really good – that raises another very good point. We have a lot of consumer tips 
that are available on our website, fcc.gov slash robocalls. Um, we have regular posts that we do, latest scams that we hear about. We'll do a post on that to let consumers know what's going on. Um, and, you know, just other tips and suggestions and, and documents that we also have a list of the third-party app developers that's kind of growing on these these third-party solutions for blocking calls. Mm-hmm. We try to maintain that, um, you know, up-to-date. Ah, uh-huh, good. So, so there, you can yeah, go in there and find out what's, what's available to help. Those apps being, of course, for your, your uh, cell phones. Mobile device. That's your correct. mobile devices, yes. tablets and whatever. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's extremely helpful, and that means that it's approved by you all. Uh, I don't not, know if you want to say that or not. Not necessarily approved, but it's certainly something that we have heard from the industry. This is, this that is something this is that's legit. available. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Time is flying by, Patrick. I don't – we're not – you know, I'm having to talk fast here. Okay. We're, I just want to take a brief pause to let our listeners knew, know they're tuned into Of Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is Patrick Weber. He's the chief of the Federal Communication Commission's Consumer and Governmental Affairs Bureau. And we're talking about some of the things that they're doing to help protect you as consumers. And we've been talking about robocalls and that sort of thing. But let's talk about something else that consumers are hearing about and they probably know as little as I do, which is about what is repacking. This is a term that's being being bandied around. I know it's changes that are coming. It may change some of the TV stations that you're watching, or some of them may actually go off the air. So tell me, Patrick, what is repacking? Yeah, that's another great question. It's something that we're going to be talking about a lot in, in the, the near future um, for the next couple of years. Um, what's happened over the last few years, broadcast television stations – are using Spectrum, um, and they're broadcasting their, their you know, programming over the air. Consumers can receive that for free with an antenna. Well, it's not necessarily the most efficient thing to use Spectrum for. Spectrum is very uh, – it's a very limited resource, and it's very um, – Spectrum is the very valuable. space that you use to transmit this That's information. That's right. Transmit television signals, radio signals, phone. Uh, your, your mobile devices use, you know, Spectrum for broadband connections. Mm-hmm. And so – as we, um, as a society, kind of grow with everybody has a, as a mobile device now, everybody has a smartphone. People are getting unlimited data plans with their their cell phone providers. Cell phone providers need more spectrum. They need to be able to support uh, their consumers with the demands that they have on that side. So, what Congress saw fit to do was allow broadcast stations voluntarily to give up some of their spectrum if they wanted to. Um, we would auction that, which we've already kind of gone through that process, and then sell it to the the, the mobile device uh, or the, the mobile providers, um, the wireless mobile providers to provide more services for their consumers. Okay, so now stations let's, have let's to move back up a, just may, may a minute. The, gover- the, the television stations had this spectrum. Mm-hmm. This is their own designated airwaves or whatever That's you correct. want to call yes. them. Leave it for something simple like for simple channel. people so like it's me. it's a channel. It's a channel. So they may not be using all of them. That they had been designated. Did they buy these from the FCC? They did not buy them. Uh, they're they serving the public interest by by broadcasting free okay. over the air television. So you you can they can turn it back over to you all. Mm-hmm. You're purchasing it from them. Mm-hmm. In fact, this has already happened. Yes. Okay. So then you can turn around and reuse that for other forms of communication. But that means that some of those TV channels that were perhaps using that generally not the major network channels. Some right. some are. Oh, some some are? are? Yes. Okay. Uh, so I stand corrected. But but they can, because digital te- technology is so efficient, they can repack. That's what we're calling repack. They can actually combine um, a couple of different channels onto one band of spectrum that was used previously for only one channel uh, so, okay. or one station. So you could put two or three stations on one channel. 
um, therefore freeing up all that spectrum that those two or three stations were previously using. Well, I know that this is a good thing because there's been talk over time about how the spectrum, we're running out of yes. space um, and and how how can you expand it to make room for all the devices? I mean, look at how, what is the cell phone penetration in this country in tablets? I mean, it's astonishing, isn't yeah. it? Yes, it's it's a very high number and it's continuing to grow. I mean, a lot of people even have multiple mobile devices. Well, that, I... That, I have to I confess <laughs> to that. Yes, indeed. Uh, like my devices, I yes, have to tell you. We all do. Mm-hmm. So what this will mean then is that we will get better service. And then there's talk. We're not going to talk about it today, but what's 5G? That's a conversation mm-hmm. for the future. That's correct. Um, which is going to provide all kinds of faster access. I mean, I think it's pretty fast right now. But <laughs> nevertheless, it's around the corner, isn't That's it? That's right. Yeah. Yes. A lot of these so what should consumers, let's suppose that somebody uses an antenna. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of antennas out there. There are. What is this going to mean for them? So, it, and that's a that's a very good point. It it only affects folks who watch TV with an antenna. If they have a cable provider, satellite provider, if they watch online um, channels, you know, over over their internet connection, they're not going to be affected. It's only folks who watch broadcast television with an antenna. They may. It depends on if any channels in their in their area are are making these switches or repacking themselves or changing channels. They will have to rescan the, the consumers will have to rescan their devices, either their digital televisions or if they have an old analog uh, to digital converter box. Uh, remember the converter boxes that came out sure. with the DTV transition. If they're still using one of those on an analog television, they'll just have to rescan that device, the tuner in that device. To make sure they pick up that that station that just moved. Well, now will this mean that they have to buy new antennas, or they should be able to use what they've got, or is that a question that we can't really answer? That's a question we really can't answer because some cha- cha- channels will be moving from like a VHF location to UHF location, okay. or a UHF to a VHF. And there, if an, if a consumer only has one of those types of, if they don't have a UHF and a VHF antenna, they may have to buy a new antenna. But we always recommend consumers. Try to scan, you know, just rescan your device. See if you can find that channel mm-hmm. without having to do anything. There may also be some adjustments you might need to make to your antenna. You know, small adjustments to your antenna can make a big difference when, when we're talking about digital te- technology. Well, how are consumers? We don't want them to wake up one morning and find out they can't get their favorite TV channel. Right. So, what can we do to notify them in advance that there's changes coming? And I know that you all have been. I've seen lists of stations that are mm-hmm. changing in various markets. Mm-hmm. Is this something that's happening market by market, or is it? Yes, there are phases to the transition, and the good news is broadcast stations that are taking part in this transition are required by us to alert consumers at least 30 days in advance um, and, and to provide scrawls, uh, screen crawls along the, the bottom of the screen during various parts of the day, also provide public service announcements. Um, we're providing consumers with education and outreach, as we did during the, the digital television transition back in 2009. Um, so consumers should know on the front end, um, 30 days in advance at a minimum, that their station is going to be moving. Uh, even if they don't get that information, if they wake up one day and they can't find their channel, just rescan your your um, your converter box or your digital mm-hmm. television, mm-hmm. and you should be able to lock back into that that uh, channel. That would mean going to your channel list and seeing what's available. Yeah, you have to go through your menu um, mm-hmm. on on the tuner, right? And and scroll to rescan. I'm the techie person in our house. And, and we and we I do, do all that. We recommend actually consumers do this periodically because there may be new stations that kind of come online that they didn't know about, um, and they and they want to make sure they're getting all the free oh, broadcast yeah. stations that are available. Oh, I, well, I get a lot of notices from my cable provider that mm-hmm. that we've got new channels coming on. So yes, there's a constant change. As a matter of fact, it's really amazing to watch it. So. Yes. 
so people can go to your website. Mm-hmm. Will they find a list of the channel changes that are going on per yes, market? Yes, we have that information available. We also have a, a, a map, a mapping tool available so consumers can kind of plug in their location or their or their zip code and see what stations are available in their in you know in their mm-hmm. zip code. Hopefully they can get reception to so those that. So that should provide them with some very useful and it's yes. fcc.gov. fcc.gov. Um, there's you know you can you can find it through that link. Yeah, you, your website is user user friendly, yes. so I do use it. So I know fcc.gov give you all the information you need to know and lots of good consumer tips too. Patrick, thank you so much for being with us today. It's the time has flown by. We've been talking with Patrick Weber, who is the chief of the Federal Communications Commission's. Consumer and Governmental Affairs Bureau. And I think we've had some useful information for consumers. And you can go to their website, fcc.gov. I'm Shirley Rooker. I'd like to thank you for joining us here on of Consuming Interest on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. Thank you. Of Consuming Interest is a public service program presented by WJLA 7 Call for Action, hosted by Shirley Rooker. Call for Action is an international nonprofit network of hotlines which offer free and confidential assistance. If you have a complaint, contact Call for Action at 301-652-HELP. That's 301-652-HELP.